0: Thank you, Evelyn. We turn now to our Bibles to the book of Second Peter, uh, sorry, First Peter, chapter two, and verses one to 12. "Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, A chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame now to you who believe this stone is precious but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Carl. Um, We have been going through the Church Vision um, series. It says, Throwing in Christ, sharing our lives, and reaching the world. If you missed uh, parts of it, do go back and listen to it. Um, this is what we're shooting for, aiming at at Chautain Church. Uh, and if you are wondering what this passage says, actually, we have preached from this passage uh, in the back when are uh, way back when we're doing the uh, First Peter series. So, if you want to hear really what that passage says, do go back and listen uh, for that. But let's pray today that God's vision for us will become clear. Lord, we thank you so much for the church, church around the world. Um, The the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world, and we thank you that we get to be a small part of that. And Lord, we thank you that you are alive and active in bringing people of every background, people of all nations, uh, as one body in Christ. And Lord, we pray now that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us the uh, hearts uh, that, are, uh, that are fertile, uh, fertile soil for your word to come and, and grow and bear fruit. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pride is ugly is the last thing that you would want to hear in your own wedding day. Sadly, that is, though, what we hear often of the bride of Christ, the Church. Instead of her beauty, many people think first of her hypocrisy and bigotry and failings. And of course, I think this is due, actually, largely to the um, unfair portrayal of Christians. But I think some of it is true. Rather than being known for acts of mercy and love and service, justice, holiness, and righteousness, often people think first of what we're against, maybe abortion or uh, homosexual marriage or something like that. Many millennials point to this very fact for leaving the church. And we've been reading about the early church in Acts 2, Acts 2, 42 to 47. That church was not like that at all. The visible church was beautiful. Remember on the day of the Pentecost, 3,000 people were converted and were added to the church. But more than that, at the end of that narrative, if you, if you have your Bibles open, look to chapter 2, verse 47. There's this line, And the Lord added to their number daily, daily those who were being saved. And we know exactly why. We know exactly why these people are being added daily. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. The apostles uh, performed signs and wonders. And all the believers together held things in common. They met together in the temple courts, and not just in the temple courts, but they went to their homes praising God together. There was no one in need because if they saw somebody in need, they shared it. They shared what they had. The church was vibrant. It was a glowing bride of Christ. People were attracted to the church. That was one of the reasons they came and why not? There's no more beautiful vision of a community than the one that Christ offers. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls us the salt and light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven." Matthew 5:16. Peter echoes. That passage in our reading today, live such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Sermon on the Mount is a bit like the rule of the kingdom, the law of uh, the rule by which we should live. It's the rule of the church. It's the rule of the, the, the community of God, the bride of Christ. And if we live according to it, the world will be attracted to it. Imagine righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Pharisees, with all their faults, had no appearance of not right, unrighteousness. They had all the appearance of righteousness. Not only that, but we as a church are not supposed to just have the appearance of righteousness, but that righteousness is supposed to go deep in our hearts because our hearts are being transformed by the Spirit of God. Where the world condemns murder... We are not even to be angry. Where much of the world justifies adultery, we're not even supposed to have lustful thoughts. Where where more than half of the marriages end in divorce, we're not to entertain it. We are to give to the needy, to go the extra mile when asked, and, and bring God's mercy and justice and righteousness and love to this world. I remember at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, where this is, this is at the heart of, uh, of uh, that sermon, and it should be at the heart of our community. We should be a community of grace, grace and forgiveness. Jesus tells that sermon, and this is the, uh, the, the most famous part, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus modeled that as he went to the cross. He loved his enemies. He prayed for those who crucified him. We know Jesus as one who died for us when we are in rebellion against him and when we are sinners and we're told to do the same, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Back in January, Larry Nasser was sentenced to 175 years in prison for abusing 156 young women as a former USA gymnastics doctor. This is what the judge said while she sentenced him. You do not deserve to walk outside a prison ever again. Anywhere you walk, destruction will occur to those who are most vulnerable. I find that you don't get it, that you're a danger, you remain a danger. I'm a judge who believes in life and rehabilitation when rehabilitation is possible. I don't find that's possible with you. I just signed your death warrant a few days before the sentencing, Rachel uh, Denhollander, one of the victims, also testified. In the middle of her testimony, she looked at Nasser and she addressed him directly. And this is what she said. In our early hearing, you brought your Bible into the court and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so self- sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love you this way. By his grace, I too choose to forgive you. If we live by different set of rules like this, the world will be attracted. We will be called foreigners and aliens because people won't understand us. Foreigners and exiles, as we read in 1 Peter 2.11. We live here, but people will know that we we don't belong here. Even as we live here, we are pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness. And when we do, people will see our good deeds and praise God on the day that he visits us. In the 20th century, many abandoned the church, and people have tried to find the reason why. Many theologians panicked, and they said actually the reason why uh, people are leaving the church is because the church's message is too old. It's too archaic. It's not understandable in the scientific modern age. And so they try to take up out embarrassing parts, things like miracles, um, things like judgment and righteousness. I don't think Christianity suffers from a translation issue. I think the main problem with the church is that we're not a very good church. We're not church enough. We're not the community that God saved us for. We need to be the church that Christ intends for us to be. Not for our sake only, not just for us to enjoy, but for the world. Because the world needs this community. The world needs the kingdom of God here. And if we become the church in Acts 2, if we become the church that lives by Christ's teaching, if we become the the church whose fundamentals are grace and forgiveness and love, we will attract people here. People will come. We won't know what to do with them. And you see, that is God's plan for the whole world. We think that reaching the world has nothing to do with the church, what we do here on Sundays, what we do as a community. That cannot be true. The church is the most important place for world mission because we're the visible sign for the rest of the world that God is here, that the kingdom of God is alive and active. And by, this, by the way, this is why we need to do the other two things really well as well, right? Growing in Christ. We need to grow in Christ. We need to be like him, not just for our sake, but for the watching world. We need to share our lives, not just so that we may enjoy the good things, but for the watching world, for the sake of the world who longs to be in a community like what's envisioned here. We ought to attract the world. But please, don't misunderstand me. I, I don't mean that we're in world mission is just all of us huddling together in a holy huddle, waiting for the world to notice us we're also sent out. We are sent out to the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're sent out particularly to speak and to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Jesus always called to send out God called Moses to send out. Jesus called his disciples to send them out. The Spirit filled the people on the Pentecost day so that he could send them out to the ends of the world. Peter went out, Paul went out. Christ calls each one of us to go out. And the church has been sending people out into places where the gospel has not been preached for ages. We support mission partners who do this work. Uh, Joshua Project, I've mentioned them before, is an organization that tracks the world's unreached population. An unreached population, they define, is a group, a people group, uh, who has only 2% or less evangelical Christians or 5% less uh, Christians. and that threshold, uh, I wonder if you uh, 7.14 billion population or something like that in this world, I wonder if you know how many people are still categorized in this unreached population, population. Any guesses? How many people still do not have access to the gospel?: All right, it's not a participation church today.) But, it's staggering, 3.14 billion people, 42% of the world, they still don't have access to the, Bible, uh, to, to the gospel. I hope that we become a church that sends missionaries out. You know, a long time ago, we sent one missionary out, um, uh, one of the Del Favre, uh, Misha, out I, I wish that there would be more. I wish that we would hear the call of Jesus to go out, especially to this unreached world where people don't have access to the gospel. But even in places like Hong Kong, there's still a lot of work to be done. And the Bible also calls each one of us ambassadors for Christ, people who are sent out. If you have your Bibles, please look back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. There is sort of the thesis um, for book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. There Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well it sounds like He's saying, when the Spirit comes, you'll be sent out as missionaries from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But that's not the only way that the gospel went out in the book of Acts. It reached Judea and Samaria, not through people going out intentionally, but because of the persecution. In chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr. He dies, and a great persecution breaks out. This is chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And a few verses later, in chapter 8, verse 4, this is what we read. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They were driven out from their homes and wherever they went to Judea and Samaria, they preached the word. In fact, the gospel reaches the end of the earth, ends of the earth in a book of Acts, not through intentional sending out, but because uh, Paul arrives in Rome in, as a prisoner. That's how the gospel reaches. In the same way, it's no accident that it, where you are where you are because God has sent us to our families, to our workplaces, to the network of friends, to declare the praises of him who has brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light, to live such good lives that though they may accuse you of you doing wrong, that they, uh, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Are we preaching the gospel wherever we are? Are we outward looking? Hey, Rory last Friday gave us a great reminder, I thought, that we often define a disciple as somebody who follows Jesus. And he said, actually, that's only half of the definition. Jesus did call his disciples and said, come and follow me. But the next half is, I will make you fishers of men. Disciples who do not make disciples, disciples who do not go out and tell the good news of Jesus. I'm not sure if that's, there is such a thing in the Bible. I met a person yesterday who has become a Christian just only a few months back. I asked him how he's changed since becoming a Christian. He said two things. One, he doesn't really want to do any of these uh, the justic and the sort of family idol thing um, at home. But then the second thing is, he said, I want to tell other other people about Jesus. That is the first instinct that we get because this is the good news as disciples of Jesus Christ. If we receive the good news, we want to tell others about Christ. We held Christmas Bazaar last December because we know that we're sent out to reach the English-speaking community in Sha Tin. We have Tian Tots Ministry because we have so many uh, families with young children. And we are sent out to that network of community where people with lo- young children. We run uh, the lunch club at Sangzi Tim School here because we're sent out to reach the school. Our men's group is doing wine tasting soon. Why not invite a couple of friends who might enjoy this in your links groups together uh, over, over Easter? Why not organize something? To organize an a Easter, Easter dinner. Invite your friends and family who don't normally go to church. Tell people about Easter. Tell people about why we celebrate Easter. Do Christianity Explored. We, that, that, that resource is available in... Um, Right Now Media, but are, booklets are available for, for, for free if you want to start it. And at the very least, being an outward-looking people means actually uh, making space for new people in Shatin Church. Unlike many churches around the world, I mean, if you go to a rural, rural church in England, you don't get any visitors. But unlike that sort of church, we get visitors all the time. Actually, there are people who are among you here for the first time. There are people who are among, you, uh, among us here who are searching, who are looking not just for a new church, but searching for Jesus, looking to find out what Christianity is. Why not talk to the people around you? Welcome, look out for them. Welcome them into this community. Talk to them about Jesus. Friends, it's very important that we live good lives that are attractive to others, but we're also sent out, sent out, with the good news of Jesus, to declare the praises of him. And through the church, God is doing something remarkable. As we attract and go out, God is uniting the whole world. And that's the, the scale that we should think of. There have been lots of attempts to unite the world, united nations. I think it's a good in many ways but it's become a theater for grandstanding and struggle for power. Communism, it seems like a a great idea. History has shown, though, that communism without transformation of heart, communism without God doesn't work. It ends in bloodshed. Some people think that the world is united through capitalism, free market. In many ways, it has brought the world together. It has created great wealth, but it also brought unprecedented inequality, exploitations. I have a friend here uh, who served with me in, in, in Honduras. We've seen the exploitation of Honduras. We see that in Hong Kong. Liberal democracies, even in places where it works, we see its flaws, how, people, how divided people are. Friends, there is no hope elsewhere. You know that through the history All human attempts to unite the world will fail, but God is doing something special. God is bringing people from all over the world, all over different nations, social class backgrounds, or whatever gender. You can see it in this church, if you look around, and you can see it in churches like it around the world. God is bringing people together as one. Our logo represents diversity, you see the four squares, they are different shades. We're a diverse congregation. Where else do you see Nigerians and Koreans, Americans, Brits, Kiwis and Chinese, Indians, young, old, wealthy, struggling, educated, dropouts, being in small groups together, saying you're my brother and you're my sister, hearing from each other, learning from each other, caring and loving each other. Church Mm. is A remarkable place all around the world. Where where else do you see people offering forgiveness to their rapists like Rachel did? Who else goes into war zones bringing aid, leaving their careers to care for the poor? God is alive and active all around the world because this is his mission to bring people into his church, to build people up so people, the rest of the world might see Christ. Where all have failed, this is possible because of Jesus. An American pastor, A.W. Tozer, gives this helpful analogy. He says, he writes, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being, being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. As we're tuned to Christ, we become closer to each other. And if we're united to Christ, no matter our gender, nationality, education level, or whatever, we will become one through Christ. One, uh, this is because no matter who you are, you will take on a radical humility, recognizing that in the end, we're all just sinners in need of God's grace. Humility is the mark of a true Christian because grace has been extended to us all, and grace makes prostitutes and professors brothers and sisters in Christ. And more than that, one more reason why we can be one, more than that, because the Holy Spirit is active among us. Pentecost wasn't a footnote in history. It is a new chapter. It's the beginning of a new human era together. All who are in Christ are given the Spirit. And they become a new people without losing any of their individuality. And we become Christ-like people who can serve one another, who can love one another. That is what God is doing in Shatin Church and all around the world. In the first century, there was a historian named Suetonius. And he refers to Christians as a different kind of a, of, 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 of a people, uh, he, he uses the word uh, genus uh, in Latin, right? Genus, a, a different kind, a different species of people. And the reasons were plenty. They didn't participate in gladiatorial fights, feasts. Uh, they didn't serve in military, were against infanticides, uh, were against sex outside of marriage, same sex practices, uh, were radically for the poor, mixed races and classes together in a way that was considered scandalous. They insisted on Christ only in a very pluralistic society. They weren't like any other groups that they could categorize. They weren't like the Greeks. They weren't like the Romans. They weren't like the Jews. They were Christians. They were a new people, united by Christ, and in whom the Holy Spirit was working. And friends, that is what we are. That is what we're being grown into through Christ, by the power of the Spirit working within us reaching the world uniting the world is god's business and that's what he is doing here i hope you've seen the importance of the church i hope you've seen you've been challenged by this sermon series we talked about growing in christ growing in jesus every single one of these things that we talked about is difficult it is challenging Growing in Jesus is challenging. It's easy to stay a baby. Why not? Just come and take something and leave. Rather than growing into a mature Christian, friends, grow. Grow to experience freedom from sin, freedom from idolatry, freedom from selfishness, freedom from worries. Crave God's word. Crave God's word. Speak it to each other and let's grow together. Let's not do it alone, but let's do it together, sharing our lives. It's much easier to stay an individualistic consumer in our church. It's easy to love in thought only, but not in action. It's much easier to uh, live in an isolated individual, isolated world on my own, than to share our life with messy people. But as we've seen, that's not what salvation is. That's not what God's doing. God is creating a whole new community. Open up your lives, open up your homes, share what you have with each other, reaching the world. It's easier to be inward looking than outward, be comfortable in a holy huddle than an outward, being an outward explosion, but we're not just called for ourselves. So Let's grow in Jesus for other people's sake. Let's share our lives for the world around us. And as we respond to God's grace, as we respond to what God is doing here, the Lord will add to our number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are your bride, that we are the one for whom you died, for whom you pay the price to make us holy and blameless and we thank you that that is the work that you are doing within us lord we confess how we have fallen lord we long to grow in you we long to be a community that is shaped by your word that community that you intend for us to be and lord we pray as we renew our vision of what the church is and what you are doing here You will invite all of us, you will uh, challenge all of us to grow in you, to share our lives so that the world might be reached through us. Lord, we thank you that we're not alone in doing this, that you are active. And so we look to you again and again as we come together, as we go out, we will look to you again and again. And we pray that by the power of your word, through through your spirit, you will transform us and this church. In Jesus' name. Amen.